Uh, my name is Freddie. I am the pastor of Young Adults here. It is wonderful to have you here tonight. We are continuing our series in the book of Numbers called The Wild. Uh, but before we jump into that, we're going to be in Numbers 9, if you brought a Bible or if you're going to follow along on your phone. Uh, but before we jump into that, I have to tell you about Christmas in my household. Uh, my wife vibes with the homie Julie. Uh, she starts listening to Christmas music sometime around November 1st as well. Uh, she loves Christmas, but her favorite part of Christmas isn't the buble playlist, right? That's like second. Uh, her favorite part of Christmas is Christmas trees. Uh, and when we got married, she did not know that she was marrying a Grinch. Uh, I do not like Christmas trees, largely because two of the things I most dislike come about through those trees. Uh, I don't really enjoy like detailed aesthetics work and decorating a tree and then being told that ornament doesn't go there is wildly annoying. So I don't enjoy that part. And then if you know me, you know that I kind of am a neat freak. Like I vacuum my house already, like at least in the first thing in the morning, last thing of the day. So the idea that there would be this tree that would just drop needles every single day. I'm like, hard pass, bro. Not for me. And then we had kids, and the idea that my kids would then eat those pine needles, right? I, I was like, I, there is nothing to be gained here. So I complained about it excessively, but my, my wife was able to find a compromise with me, and we bought an artificial tree. And now the debate is, how early should we put it up, right? November 1st, November 15th. I always say November 25th, like the day after American Thanksgiving. That's the right day to do it. But it, it's a, a constant conversation. And the reason it matters so much is because Christmas can't be Christmas without a Christmas tree, according to my wife. And Christmas is like the Christian holiday. And I mean, we could add in Easter as well, right? But th there are two, two events in the Christian calendar that dramatically shape our group identity, right? We're celebrating a historical event. Like, we're celebrating something massive, like earth-changing. In the Old Testament, they had that kind of event. Their Christmas, if you will, was the Passover. This event was an identity-shaping practice by the Old Testament people of God that reminded them who God was, and what he had done. So our lesson today from Numbers 9 is the people of God keep the Passover. The people of God keep the Passover. Very simple. Three points. First point, Passover party. Second point, party poopers. Third point, Passover party purpose. So I, those are memorable, right? They're, I was going to try to make it Passover purpose party pooper, but I ran out of ways to make it rhyme or make sense. So anyways, first one. Passover party, Numbers 9, 1 to 5. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its statues and all its rules, you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. These first five verses uh, are framing the conversation, or framing the story for us, right? We're in Numbers 9. If you were here last week, uh, the last sermon was Numbers 5, so we skipped a few things. We skipped the, the sacrifices that were given, the dedication of the tabernacle, and in this scene, we're coming to the very first Passover 
after the people of God have, have left Egypt. They escaped there. Well, I'll talk a little bit more about that in the third point. But at this point, all we need to know is it has been 10, 11 months since they escaped Egypt. They walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, and now they're going to celebrate the identity-shaping event. This is their Christmas. And we're told three different times it is on the, first, or the 14th day of the first month. When you keep it really, really matters. And the, the people of God had all kinds of statues and rules, not just on the day, but on every aspect of the day. And all the big traditions in our life function in that way, right? Every single thing that we do that has big significance, there are, there are rules or etiquettes or traditions that drive the way we do it. I started by talking about Christmas, so I'll give you one from my household. Uh, in my family, we start the Christmas season on December 1st by doing Tim Tam Slams. Uh, if you don't know what that is, yeah, come on, Tim Tam Slams. Uh, a Tim Tam Slam is when you take a Tim Tam cookie and you bite out the corners, turning it into a straw, and then you use it to slurp up some delicious hot chocolate. And then as you slurp the hot chocolate, it melts the cookie from the inside. So then essentially you're eating warm fudge alongside a hot chocolate. So it is a very chocolatey, very messy, very delicious thing. So in my household, we celebrate the Christmas season by having lactose-free Mexican hot chocolate with an Australian biscuit uh, that, you know, to celebrate Canadian Christmas. So that, that combination of things, I don't know where we got all them, maybe Vindone, because I guess he was from Australia, even though he looked pretty uh, Asian, if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> if you know, you know, you can ask me. I replaced him, so good riddance, amen? <laughs> Just kidding, the, the point of this illustration was not the Vendone replacement. The point of the illustration, well, that guy's leaving, see he's mad. Uh, the point of the illustration is that every tradition that we have has rules. There, there are things that we do, if, it, if the tradition matters, we do things a certain way to commemorate the event. Right, so we do Tim Tam Slams to commemorate the Christmas season starting, and it is always the same way. Nine years in a row of doing the exact same thing on December 1st, the same hot chocolate, the same kind of biscuits, the same kind of experience. The people of God were keeping the Passover with this kind of commitment, but it wasn't a tradition for them. We're told explicitly in this passage that there were rules and instructions given to them by God. Numbers 9 doesn't tell us what those are. It just tells us, do it according to those instructions. To learn those, you actually have to go back. And in Exodus 12, at the first Passover, we're told all the things that God commanded. So I'm going to read you a few, a few verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, right, they're still there in captivity, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And then it goes on a few verses later. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your house. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Passover was the identity-shaping event for them. This was Christmas and Easter and Super Bowl Sunday all merged together. This was the thing that marked them as the people of God. Their calendar reset based on this event. So everything led up to this event. Everything followed from this event until you came back to it the very next year. The year changed with it. I, as I was thinking about this this week, I, I'm like, it reminded me a lot of when I was in high school and the, whatever sports season was on, the entire universe revolved around the next game day. 
right? And then you got to that game day, and then the day after, you'd reflect on the previous game day and look forward to the next game day, right? That kind of devotion, right? Not to a, a sport that ends very quickly, but to an event that reminded them of God's rescue of the people of God. That's what Passover was like. Everything was built around this event. Their entire calendar was built around this event. And a warning came with it. If you failed to keep the Passover, we're told in this passage, verse 15, that person would be cut off from Israel. So what are the rules? I won't read you all of Exodus 12 because it's like 50-something verses. It would take us quite a while. But I'll just give you a few quick rules of the Passover. So there was a specific date and time. Do you guys know the date and time based on Numbers 9? The first month on the 14th day, right? Three different times we're told. So that mattered. You couldn't get that wrong. Not the 13th day, not the 15th day, the 14th day of the first month. Secondly, uh, there were specific directions for how you prepared, how you sacrificed, how you cooked, and how you ate the lamb that was the Passover sacrifice. It had to be a lamb. Couldn't be a goat. Uh, It couldn't be a cow. Had to be a lamb. And everything about its preparation and consumption was given as an instruction. Uh, They had to eat unleavened bread, and so no yeast in their bread. It was like little flatbreads. And they could not eat yeast so much that they actually had to remove it from their household. Right? So they're they're getting kind of pedantic on some of these rules. Uh, They were told that this had to be told to the next generation. So then you also had instructions on not just keeping the Passover, but then how you talked about it to your kids. So every aspect of this event was regulated. And this is one of those moments when we have to ask, like, why? Like, why did it matter so much? Like, are you kidding? You can't even keep leaven in the house? Like, it feels a little bit over the top. But it's not over the top, right? Practices, the way you do things, has a purpose, right? I, I, if you've ever been to Ikea and you've ever bought furniture there and you're like me, it seems pretty self-explanatory. Like, I've seen it in the warehouse. I know what it looks like. So, or in the showroom, not in the warehouse. That'd be weird. It's just the boxes. But in the showroom, you know what it looks like. And you're like, I, I know that I bought a sectional. I've seen sectionals before. And you just start putting things together. Uh, if you don't follow those directions, though, inevitably, it doesn't work. Your sectional doesn't fit together. Or the desk kind of rocks. Or you end up with an extra piece. The instructions that come with that... Uh, with whatever it is that you bought, they're given so that you can build the right thing. The instructions that came with Passover were given so that Passover would function in the right way, that it would remind the people of God who they were and what God had done for them. This event was meant to be the big thing. And the reason it mattered so much was because Passover was the clearest example that God had chosen Israel, that they were special, that God was in a a relationship with them. Right? This was a new idea in the ancient world, that God would have a personal relationship with a people. And the, the language that the Old Testament uses consistently is, is the word covenant, which isn't a word that we use very much, right? but a covenant simply means a relationship. God was in a relationship with the people of Israel, and that relationship came with, with benefits or blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And as a, as a result of being in a relationship, the people of God carried a sign. So in the same way that if you play on a sports team, you wear a jersey, or if you cheer for a sports team, you wear the jersey, or if you're married like myself, you wear a wedding ring, right? When you make a commitment, when you're in a relationship, there are signs, external signs that mark that relationship. For the people of God, the external sign was, was circumcision. 
In Genesis 17, 14, we read this. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God had made a covenant. God had entered into a relationship with the people of God and said, all of you, everyone descended from you is part of my people, and I'm going to bless you when you obey me, and then there will be curses or punishments when you disobey me. And the Exodus story, which is what Passover is commemorating, was God showing up, God proving that I will bless my people, that I will protect them, that I will care for them. Right? God had made outlandish promises. If you know the Old Testament, right, your mind should go to Genesis chapter 12, where God promised Abraham, the, the forefather of this people group, that he would give them land, a people, and bless them greatly. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 says this, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. So God is promising he's going to give them a bunch of land. If you don't have land, you're not a nation. You're just a bunch of nomadic people, right? To be a nation, you need to have a place. So God has said, I'm going to make you a great nation. You will have a place where you will live. I will bless you and make your name great. In the ancient world, what made you great is if you had descendants. So they're not just going to have a place to live, not just going to be a nation. There's going to be a lot of them, 12 tribes of them. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What God had promised his people is that he would bless them if they followed him and there would be judgment if they disobeyed him. And in the Exodus story, God showed up and kept his promise. Passover then was so significant because it reminded the people of God that God was in a relationship with them. They were special. God had chosen them. God had moved to rescue them. God would never give up on them. So the Passover then was a party. And not just a party in the sense that everyone was included and it had special significance in the same way that birthday parties or anniversary parties do. It was a party in the sense that it reminded them God showed up. And God gave them specific directions to remind them that the, the, the relationship required obedience. So the first lesson from today's reading is that the people of God must obey his commands. Every aspect of Passover was given instructions, and we, we see them as simple as the right day, the right time, the right food. And all of them were meant to communicate to the people of God that the relationship with God requires obedience. For the Old Testament Israel, in this passage, it meant keeping the Passover. But if we zoom out a little bit, we would include the Ten Commandments, right? We're in we're Numbers, but previously in Exodus, the Ten Commandments were introduced. God gave the people instructions for how to live. If we zoom out even further to include ourselves, for the Christian, this means obeying all of Scripture's commands. So not just the Ten Commandments, but everything from Genesis to Revelation. That's fundamental to what a Christian is, actually. Uh, Jesus famously said in Luke 6, 46, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Because there's a temptation for Christian people to just kind of do what we want. But if, if we follow the example of the Old Testament people of God in this passage, we, we realize, I, I think we should realize, that following God means that you obey him. Not just with the Ten Commandments, but more importantly, with the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment, uh, according, to Luke, or according to Matthew 22, is that you love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and with your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. So five verses into Numbers 9, I think we face the significant question, do you obey God's commandments? If you're a Christian, if you identify as a Christian, you're saying, I'm part of the people of God, your version of keeping the Passover, 
is obeying God's commands. So do you obey God's commandments? Is this the rule that guides your life? Passover was a party in that it shaped the group identity of the people of God. It told them who they were and taught them how to live. But sometimes people messed it up. So come to our second point. There are party poopers in our passage. They're all right. We're going to learn more about them. Numbers 9, verses 6 to 8. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body, so they could not keep the Passover on that day, on the 14th day. And they came to Moses and Aaron on that day, and those men said to him, we are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? And Moses said to them, wait, that I may hear from the Lord what he will command concerning you. Uh, uncleanliness was a persistent problem for the Old Testament people of God. Uh, I'm not talking about hygiene here, but rather their, their ability to stand before God. Their cleanliness in, in terms of ceremonial purity. Like, were they able to approach God? Were they morally pure enough to do so? If you were here at the last live night, Joy preached, and she preached out of Numbers 5 and talked about the kinds of things that made people unclean. And one of the things that was listed in Numbers 5 was touching a dead body. Numbers 5, 1 to 2 says this, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge or, or everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. The people that we meet in this story, these men that touched the dead body, the circumstances of that were not really told. Like what led to them touching the dead body? I, we have no idea. The passage just says they, they did. And what it is, is it's a great reminder that there isn't a good time for someone to die. Right? Death is a painful reminder that we live in a broken world, and it never comes at a convenient time. Now, my, my father passed away last July, July 26th. Uh, he died f three months, or uh, he died a month before I graduated, or I, I finished my last assignment for seminary, two months before I graduated seminary, three months before my second son was born. It was a very inconvenient time. I, it would have been nice if he made it four months or five months or another decade, right? Death never comes at a good time. And these men, faithful Jewish people that wanted to keep the Passover, faced that kind of situation. Death came at a painful time, an inconvenient time, and they did what anyone would do. They, they honored the person. They had to bury a body. But because of that, they were now unclean, and they couldn't keep the Passover. The Passover was the party that shaped the people of God, that defined the people of God, and now, through circumstances not within their control, they couldn't keep the party. And we're actually told they were kept from giving a sacrifice. So it wasn't that they were unwilling. They showed up. They said, yeah, they had to take care of business, of course, but they showed up, and they wanted to sacrifice their lamb, and they were told, well, you're actually unclean. You're not, you're not going to be able to keep it this time. But this was the second Passover ever. That's a big deal if they couldn't keep it, if Passover is truly as important as, as I have made it out to be. So what are these guys supposed to do? Well, they do what anyone would do. They go to Moses in their situation, and, and they say, like, Moses, what, what does God want for us? What can we do? Moses goes, presents it to the Lord, and we'll talk more about the resolution in point number three. But at this point, I, I think this kind of interaction raises a significant question for us. Um, a question about God's law. Does the law of God work in the real world? Uh, because the way this scene is portrayed, it, it feels a little bit like they got set up, right? God had given them this command. God had given them these instructions around Passover that this was the thing 
No matter what, you keep it on the first month, on the 14th day, and here's all these rules. Also, you'll be unclean if this happens. So through no fault of their own, these guys end up unclean. So in a way, God guaranteed through his commandments that they would not be able to obey his commandments. And it feels like one of those moments where, you know, the modern people look at the Bible and they're like, great reminder, the Bible's so outdated. Like it, it gives us rules that don't even make sense. They contradict each other. They're impossible to follow. Christians are crazy for even trying. So is, is that what's going on here? Does, is God the kind of God who just makes up random rules, right? We, we know what authority that does that is like. In, in the book of Exodus, there's this great story where Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, is, he's, over, over, he's in charge of the slaves, the Jewish slaves, and they are, their main task is to make bricks for all kinds of building projects. And Pharaoh's mad that Moses shows up and tells him, you know, let my people go. And in retaliation for that, he goes and tells the people, uh, I want you to make more bricks, but I'm not going to give you straw. So he commands them to do something, but then takes away their ability to do it and then punishes them when they fail. He's vindictive. And we hear this story of these men that wanted to give the sacrifice, but because of God's commandments, they were prevented from doing so. And it's one of those moments where we have to ask, is, is God vindictive like Pharaoh? Is God the same kind of ruler? And the short answer is obviously no. But if we look at the story, I think that this story is actually a great example of the character of God and the goodness of his law. God's character is merciful. He is a merciful God. So much so that he creates an opportunity. So the, the Sabbath, or the Sabbath, pardon me, the Passover was always on the first month, on the 14th day, but God creates a second chance. God says, you can keep it, as we'll see in a few moments, you can keep it on the second month, but the same 14th day. God gives another opportunity. God gives a second chance. He shows himself to be merciful. And what that does is it reminds us that God's law is meant to lead to life. God's laws are meant to direct human behavior so that we do the kinds of things that build the right kind of life, right? God's command about cleanliness or uncleanliness wasn't designed to prevent people from worshiping. It was designed to show people that, that when you approach the presence of God, you have to be in the right condition. And when we're not in the right condition, God creates another way for us to approach him. Uh, this story reminds us that God is the kind of God who makes a way for unclean people to be near him. This story of, of party poopers, in fact, doesn't, isn't about the party poopers. It's about the kind of God who overcomes any difficulty to be near to his people. The party poopers, in fact, then are helpful in that they reveal God's purpose, which brings us to our third point, the Passover party purpose, Numbers 9, 9 to 14. It reads as follows. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if any one of you or of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. In the second month on the 14th day at twilight, you shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all the statutes for the Passover, they shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. 
you shall have one statue, both for the sojourner and for the native. Right? In summary, the solution that these, these party poopers showed up, they had a challenge, they touched a dead body, they could not come before the Lord. And the solution is that God creates another way. God creates a second chance and says, you can keep the Passover, not on the first month, but in the second month, on the same 14th day. God's mercy and goodness towards people are shown in that he still makes a way for unclean people to come near him. So we've talked about what Passover was, right? But I think we need to talk a little bit. We need to back up a touch and talk about why Passover was so important. I talked about what it was in the sense that it shaped the community. It reminded them who they were as the people of God, directed their behavior. But more than that, like, why was this story so significant? And for that, you have to go back to the Exodus story and kind of fit all the pieces together. So the Exodus story, in short summary, was the people of God were in slavery in Egypt, and then God showed up to rescue them through miraculous signs and wonders, namely 10 plagues. And each of these 10 plagues was designed to show God, or Yahweh, as superior to all the, the Egyptian pantheon or all of nature. So God was in control in a way that no one else could even claim to be. And all the plagues did specific things, but the most significant one was the 10th one, where in that 10th plague, God was showing his character most fully. So every plague showed God's power, but the 10th one showed God's power and showed his character, both in showing the mercy of God in that he made a way for people to be rescued from the judgment he sent, and in showing the justice of God, that he was in fact going to hold Pharaoh and Egypt accountable for their wicked deeds. They, they were slavers, and he was going to hold them to account for their wicked behavior. And the tenth plague was this decree by God where he sent an angel of death, and that angel was going to pass over the entire land of Egypt and kill the firstborn of every single family. Like Egyptian family, Israelite family, every animal Right? It's like a very graphic picture of the justice of God. If people are in rebellion against God, God will hold them accountable. But the mercy of God is shown in that he said, if any person sacrificed a lamb, and then they took that lamb, and they used the, the blood and painted the, the doorway, and then they ate that lamb after giving some of it as a sacrifice, and they ate it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they packed their stuff up as they were ready to go on a journey, those people would be rescued. God made a way for just judgment to pass over them. So this Exodus story was a story in the Bible that shows God holds people accountable for their sin and God makes a way for sinful people to be forgiven. This story is massively significant in the Old Testament, but it's significant for New Testament people too because Jesus takes this story and then says that it actually teaches us something about him. In the Last Supper, if, if you read through the Gospels before, in the Last Supper, when they're celebrating the Passover and they're having the Last Supper, the last meal Jesus shared with his disciples, he, he shares with them some bread and some wine. And the things he says about the bread and the wine are directly connected to Passover. He tells them, this is my body broken for you in the same way that a lamb, would, their body would be broken as they would be killed. And then he holds up a cup of wine and says, this is my blood poured out for you. This is the, the covenant, or this is a cup of the covenant in my blood. Jesus was saying what happened back then 
was only a glimmer of what, what is happening right now before you to his 12 disciples. Jesus was saying that on the cross, he was going to die so that sinful people could be forgiven. Sinful Egyptians, sinful Israelites, sinful people everywhere in the world. Jesus was making the radical claim that the sacrificial death of a lamb thousands of years before was pointing to his sacrificial death in AD 30. Right? Jesus was teaching the people that that story was significant then, but his story is the fulfillment of, that, of, the, of the Passover story. And then the church ended up practicing what we call communion to celebrate that story. And we get instructions in passages like 1 Corinthians 11, where we're taught to remember and celebrate the life of Jesus. We remember that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a death for sinners for the forgiveness of sins, and then resurrected. And then Christians celebrate that he in fact resurrected and he promised that when, when he returned to heaven, he was gonna send the helper, the, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was gonna fill all of us and that we could obey him and follow him and then have eternal life. So communion becomes the, the way we celebrate Passover in, in the New Testament. Communion proclaims that God offers mercy, God sends judgment, but offers mercy to any person who would receive it. And this ultimately is the, the purpose of the Passover party. I think that, that we would understand the character of God, not just Jewish people, not just Israel, but everyone in the entire world. That we would see that God is the kind of God who longs to rescue people, who offers mercy to people like you and me. Jesus died so that we could live. So I want to end with a few questions. It, if this story is true... I think it demands a response, right? If Jesus died so that you could live, I think that demands a response. If you are not yet a Christian, I think hearing about the Passover and understanding the justice of God and the mercy of God, that he offers mercy to anyone who would receive it, is a great reminder for us to ask God for mercy, if you're here and you just got dragged here by a friend and you're not a Christian or maybe your parents make you come here because they want you to be in church, you don't even really care about it, but you're here and you're hearing this story, this is a reminder to call in the name of Jesus and be saved. It's a very simple thing. For the Old Testament people, it meant you painted a little blood and you ate a lamb and you trusted that God would rescue you. For us, it's even simpler. We just say, God, will you help me? If you've never prayed that, if you've never said that, if you've never thought that, tonight should be the night that you do. And if you're a Christian, when we hear that phrase, Jesus died so you could live, well, you've already been rescued, you've already received mercy, but then my question is, well, well, how, how do you live? Or how are you living, more accurately? Uh, because what we learned in the first point was that the people of God obey God's commandments. So the question for Christians is, do you obey God's commandments? The purpose of the Passover party was that people would know who they are and know how to live. If you are not yet a Christian, this is an offer for mercy. And if you are a Christian, it is a reminder to live for God. You've been set apart. You've been rescued so that you could live. Returning to the Christmas tree story I told you about, I ultimately, I gave in not because I wanted peace in the home. That was a part of it. But I gave in because Christmas is like the big Christian festival, right? Along with Easter. But for the purpose of this illustration, we will say Christmas is the big event. And I agreed, with, even though I didn't like trees and I didn't like decorating them and I don't like the mess, I agreed with my wife that, you know what? 
this is worth celebrating. This, this event reminds me who I am. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe G God came to earth as a baby so that he could live and die and resurrect and save me from my sins so that I could live with him forever. That story shapes everything about our lives. It shapes everything about our children's lives. So ultimately, we put up the Christmas tree and I have learned to rejoice in a tree that I don't really love because I love the experience. I love the story that it reminds me of. Passover was that kind of thing for the Old Testament people of God. And communion is that kind of thing for the church. All of these things are meant to remind us that God keeps his promises. The people of God keep the Passover. The people of God keep communion as a response to the God who keeps his promises. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll invite the music team back up to lead us in a few songs. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this reminder, Lord, that you are the kind of God who offers mercy uh, to people who do not deserve it. You're the kind of God who makes a way for unclean people to draw near to you. So Father, I pray for people in this room. If there are people here uh, who recognize their uncleanness, who recognize that your offer of mercy is there, I pray that they would take it. I pray they would go back and talk to someone on the prayer team and choose to follow you. And for those here who are Christians, Lord, I pray that you would help us walk with you. Uh, knowing your commandments is one thing. Obeying them is, is a whole nother thing. So, Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would empower us not only to know your word, but to obey it. Father, help us along the way. Uh, we long to live for you. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.